0: So when I say the word apocalypse, you guys probably have all sorts of different like images in your head. You're probably thinking zombies or viruses or like all these different crazy things that we see in movies whenever you see like an apocalyptic movie, right? And so when we look at scripture and we're talking about the apocalypse, sometimes all those images pop into our head and we start to think of those. And as I saw this clip here, I was just thinking how cool it is that you and I actually know the truth about what that will be like. You and I actually have like a resource that shows us and tells us exactly what the end of the world is going to look like. And if we look in the book of Revelation, we find this book that is full of this thing called prophecy. And some of you guys are like, what's prophecy? And prophecy is telling the future. And God in Revelation is telling us about this last ultimate battle. We've been talking about these Epic battles in scripture, and we're on our last two weeks. And so tonight, this is the last battle, and this one actually hasn't taken place yet. All the other ones we've seen are historical record of things that have happened, but tonight's battle, the one we're going to look at in Revelation, is one that is to come. It's prophecy. It will happen. And the cool thing is that we're like that one guy in the in the clip where we know, and the world's going to want to ask us for answers about that. And we should be prepared because we have it in God's love letter to us that he's given us to read and to study. And he said, this is what you can expect. I don't want there to be doubt in your mind. I don't want you to be wondering. I don't want you to have to ask. I'm going to tell you what the end days will look like because you're one of my children. It won't be mystery for you. And the world will look on and be like, what is that going to be like? And so we need to be prepared with an answer. Have you ever uh, gone to the movies? Do you have that one friend that goes with you? that always, like, either they've seen it, or they just talk all through it, (laughs) and they always want to say things just before they happen, and it's like that climax scene, and that crazy music's on, like, you know, the really high, like, music that's going, and everybody's, like, clenching their seat, and your friend's like, oh, yeah, he's in the closet, and you're like, shut up, you know, like, why would you say that right now? You just ruined the whole movie, spoiler alert, you know, like, you call him one of those things. Like, you just ruined this thing for me. And it's this thing where... This this piece of information is by no means a spoiler alert. This end battle, this this prophecy that God's giving us is something that we can hold on to and we want to share. We're not that annoying friend in the corner that sometimes the world wants us to feel like for being a Christian and for talking about it and they want to shame us into talking about things like this. But God's given it to us to share so that the world will know what's to come so that we'll be able to lead and to tell them of a hope that's to come in the middle of disaster, in the middle of this tragedy that's going to take place, that there is hope and there is grace that's extended to them, and you and I get to be the messengers of that. And so my question, I wonder how many people in this room, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you have even read the book of Revelation. If you haven't, it's probably because you're something like me, and you think of Revelation, and you're like, well, it's really confusing Like, how am I going to read this book and make any sense of it? There's like these crazy locust creatures that might be helicopters or something, and they're flying around, and I don't know. And then there's beasts and dragons coming out of the sea and like stars. And and then there's a lampstand. What is the lampstand about, you know? And there's all these symbols because it's prophecy. But I want to encourage you, if you've never done a study through Revelation, to do it. There's some awesome studies I can help you find and get you a book to go with it, to walk you through it. There's some leaders in here that would love to study through that, I'm sure. And and study through this thing because it's about what God's going to do. So we're coming up to the most epic battle in all of existence. This one makes all those other ones look like nothing. I mean, this parting of the Red Sea was awesome. But it's, it's like a drop in the bucket. <laughs> See what I did there? Compared to this battle that's coming up. Alright? So... We're here and we're in Revelation, all right? We're going to go to the end so we can find this battle. So open with me to Revelation chapter 16. Let me show you this in verses 14 to 16. It says this, For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. You guys, I'm sure, have heard that word or seen the movie with the big meteor that's going to come and hit earth. You know, like Armageddon with Ben Affleck. And this is this is a little different than that. right? You're about to see. You're, you're already looking and you're like, they're... There's every single king, and all of his armies, all their armies, are gathering in this one valley called Armageddon. In the Bible, they call it Megiddo. And and this battle is going to take place on a world scale. Right? This isn't Israel fighting a neighboring enemy. This is the world coming together, the kings and their armies of the entire world, who've looked up to God and said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And they're taking a stand against the God of creation. It doesn't get bigger than that. There's no size that's bigger than that. And as they come together in this valley called Armageddon, I want you to jump forward to chapter 19, Revelation 19. And here's what actually takes place. Verses 11 to 21. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. Hold on a second. This is the big moment. This is the moment you and I have been waiting for. This is the moment that's the centerpiece of Christianity, of what you and I believe. Meetings like we're doing tonight exist because of this moment. That we come together and we are waiting and expecting Jesus to come back. If Jesus doesn't come back, if Jesus isn't alive, what we're doing tonight is pointless. But here we see a promise that Christ is alive and he's returning, and this is the moment on this white horse that Jesus comes back and you and I look forward to it. It's the very thing that makes our heart beat fast because we know that our God is alive tonight. We're not here in some boring religious service to do some weird, like symbolic, like movements with our hands. And we are here tonight because there is a living God who loves us, who sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. And he's coming back for us. That's the celebration of his church. And guess who the church is? You and me. And so tonight we're here as we sing and as we interact with each other and study God's word and pray. It's all worship. And we walk out of this place and we live our lives. Hopefully we continue worshiping because of this moment that we believe is is going to happen. We've been promised that Jesus is coming back. Woo! I don't know how, you're not getting excited over that, but I'm about to jump out of myself up here. Because this is what it's all about. All right, so here we go. This horse, white horse with Jesus on it. Look what happens. The one sitting on it, this is the most incredible description of Christ. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. So the first part of the description are two things that are so hard to find today. Try to point out someone who's truly faithful. Someone who never hurts you, someone who never lets you down, never betrays you, but is always there, always faithful. It's hard to find it's actually pretty impossible unless you're talking about Jesus. Jesus will always be there for you. Jesus will never let you down. And Jesus is coming back. And it says true. And we live in a world where everything, everyone is claiming that everything's true. It's so hard to know what the actual truth is anymore. And if you want to say that just this is actually true, two plus two actually does equal four. And then you have people over here going, I want to say it equals five, and you just need to deal with it and not be mean to me about it, and let's just agree to disagree. And you're like, what? That makes no sense. It does equal four, but they want to equal five. Like, that's the world we live in. It's ridiculous, and it's happening on every level. So how do we find truth in the middle of that? It's a real good thing that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the truth, and He's coming back. And we can believe it, and we can trust it, and it says, and in righteousness... He judges and makes war. I got to be honest with you, when I first read that, it's hard to think of like, someone who makes war as being a good person. I think of war as this like bad thing, and so I think, Jesus, how could you come and, and do what we're about to read here? Like I hope you're ready. This is a gory scene. There's some gross things that happen in this. It's violent. And at first I think, Jesus, like, you're going to make war? But look at that phrase. It's so important. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. We're so used to seeing, like, Donald Trump go over and talk to Kim Young Ching chong song whatever his name is. I can never say his name. I can't say his name. What is Kim? What? Thank you. It's a linguist in the front row. You're going to work for the U.N., that dude, right? And so they're always like arguing. They're always like pointing bombs at each other. And you're like, what's going on? And then you have like this country over here pointing bombs at this country. You're like, and you want to think that somebody's the good guy and somebody's the bad guy. But then when you actually start to look into it, you're like, everybody's the bad guy. Like, <laughs> even us, even the United States of America, as much as we want to claim that we're perfect, we're not perfect. And even when we make war, it's not totally pure. There are still motives that we have. And 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 when you have people who judge, I mean, you can even go into your classroom and think of your teacher and how they rule your classroom, right? And I'm sure you can point out, every single time your teacher made a, a, some sort of decision that you thought was unfair. Even your parents. No, not them, right? They're perfect. Not your parents? Yeah, even them, right? And your youth pastor and everybody else. We make imperfect, not me, right? We make imperfect, thank you, imperfect decisions, But Jesus doesn't. And so when Jesus makes war that we're about to see, he does it with perfect righteousness. You know why? Because he's perfect. And he's attacking the thing that needs to be attacked, which is sin. There's no selfishness. There's no ulterior motives. It's just right. And so the war that Jesus makes here that we're about to see is a justified and righteous war. Then it says this about him. His eyes are like a flame of fire. That's pretty cool like I'm you guys know I'm a superhero nut so I'm just trying to picture an awesome superhero with these like fire eyes. I don't know if that's exactly what it's saying here, but it does often refer in scripture when it says that someone's eyes are like fire that they they can see through things. Not like x-ray vision, but like see into your heart. Of course Jesus probably does have x-ray vision too, but that's aside the point, right? Right? But he could see your motives. He knows what you're really thinking. Why is He so just? Why is He righteous? Because He's able to see right into you. He can see our sin. He can see our motives, the good and the bad. The Bible says that he can, he can look in and divide the marrow from the bone, which means like He can see straight into your heart. With His eyes of fire, He can judge righteously because of that. There's no hiding from Him. When I think about that for a moment, it makes me like, oh man... Jesus, like, you see all my sin. You see all the moments that I'm alone. You see all the moments in my head where I think no one else can hear or see the things I'm thinking. You're there, and you see it. And you still love me. And you still died for me. That's our Jesus. He's going to come back and rule righteously. And it says this about him. On his head are many diadems. You know what a diadem is, anybody? A crown. A crown. And so is he wearing like a ton of crowns? They're all like hanging off and like a flave. He's got like all over the place. No, like Jesus, what this is saying is that he has the authority over everyone and everything. There is no kingdom that Jesus isn't in charge of. All of existence, the entire universe, Jesus wears the crown of it. Jesus has the authority over everyone and everything. And so he comes back with authority. Now, remember when he came the first time? Remember when he came to die on a cross for us? How he came so humbly and meekly? Born in a manger? Became a carpenter? Willingly was beat and tortured and spit at? He went to a cross... Let them drive nails in His hands and feet. It's just incredible humility and service for you and I. And this time, this time, in this promise of Jesus coming back for this battle, He doesn't come back quite the same way. We see Jesus come back as this authoritative ruler of all of existence, and He's claiming His kingdom. It's a different Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But when he comes back this time, he's coming to reclaim what's his and to deal with those who don't follow him. It's a real moment. It's something that's really going to happen to those who still stand as enemies to Christ. And so Jesus comes back and He's got these diadems, and it says that he has a name written that no one knows but himself. In the Bible, that word name is used a lot. And usually it refers to like a position, authority, or title. That Jesus' authority, you and I can't even comprehend his authority or his rule. And it says something really really interesting next. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, if you're just reading that for the first time, you're like, that's gross. Like, What is going on here? But as we look at what Jesus did and remember who he was, what it's saying is that he has the right to do all of this because he died for you. Because Jesus came and took all of the injustice and the wrong and the sin that you and I made and he made it right by shedding his blood, this blood, it says, that is on his robe. And just imagine with me for a moment, You're seeing Christ in all his glory on this white horse, and the clouds break open, and he comes out of the sky, and he's wearing this robe that's a reminder of his blood. And now put yourself in the shoes of these armies who are all gathered together for the reason of saying, God, we hate you, we want nothing to do with you, and we're here to do battle against you. And they see Jesus, and what's he wearing? That same blood, you're right, that same blood that He shed for them. So as they're standing here to do battle with Him, they're being reminded, just just the sight of Him is reminding them, but I died for you. I've already given my life for you. And this blood is a reminder to you as you stand there and you tell me how much you hate me, that I've already died to pay for your sin and you just wouldn't... Except you didn't want to receive it. They can clearly see that. And the name by which he is called, it says, is the word of God. If you look at that that title there, the word of God. Word is actually verb, is what that means. And so when we call Jesus the word or the verb of God, it implies that he's the action of God. He's the one who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who right now is holding and sustaining heaven and earth together. And he's the one who will come and rule and bring us into perfect unity with God. Jesus is at work tonight. And he's not just at work on that big, big scale we just talked about. You know, he's at work in your heart tonight. As you sit here and you listen to these words, Jesus is doing work in your heart. He's preparing your heart for tomorrow when you get up and you walk through the hallways at school. And He'll be working in you then as you sit in your classrooms and your cafeterias, as you talk to friends or play sports. Jesus is constantly at work in you. Do you recognize His work? Are you grateful that Jesus has come with grace and said, I want to take you in my arms and do this, complete this work. I'm faithful to complete it. Then it says this next. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. So, like, it's one thing to see Jesus on this horse in all his glory, right? It's pretty amazing. But then to know that he leads angel armies behind him. Like, the sky breaks open, and it's just full of Jesus and his army. And these measly human beings are down here, and their little horses or tanks or whatever we have at that point, spaceships, I don't know. And we're down here, and we're looking up, and we are so far outnumbered. That army is so far outnumbered compared to Jesus and His army. And it's really cool to think it's, He's not just an angel. He's not just some prophet. He is God Almighty who leads the angels into army against sin. I tell you, I don't want to be one of those soldiers on that battlefield. I don't want to be standing there that day when Jesus comes back To rule justly over us and give us what we deserve. Because our sin means that we deserve death. Not just in this life, but in eternity. I don't want to be standing with them. So Jesus comes back with his army and it says he will rule them with a rod of iron, with justice and fairness. They don't even know what's coming at them, what they actually deserve. I skipped a verse, I'm sorry. It says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. How cool is it? Remember way back in the beginning in Genesis where Jesus is, or the Son is there and he creates? How does he do it? What does he do? Does he pull out a hammer, this like heavenly hammer and start like... Speaks it. Speaks it. It's His Word is so powerful that if Jesus speaks, it happens. The entire universe comes into life because of His Word. And now here, as He comes back, it's that same Word, that powerful Word that will annihilate, destroy, obliterate. You think of all the big words you can think of, but in a heartbeat, in a Word, that army is laid to waste. They are massacred on the battlefield. With a word. We've seen battles up to this point where the Israelites didn't have to take out their sword. Like, the sea splits open. It destroys Egypt. The walls fall down in Jericho. Like, all these crazy things happen without a sword drawn. But here's just totally pure, sheer power that Jesus shows up and he says a word. The army's destroyed. If he could speak it into existence, why would they think, why would we think that he's not powerful enough to bring judgment as well in the same way? And it says, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Now here's how a winepress works so you understand this image, all right? Here's here's what's happening is Jesus says this word and this army is massacred in front of him it's like the olden days would take like, these little barrels and they'd fill them with wine and they'd get somebody who was barefooted and they'd throw them in the barrel and they'd start dancing around. Right? And as they danced around, their feet would smush those grapes and the grapes would finally give out juice and the juice would flow and look really red. It would look like blood. And so it was this picture that they would use, this word picture, to describe what was going to happen in this battle That Jesus wasn't going to come slapping wrists. He was going to destroy sin and those who would come up against him. It's not a happy day. This isn't a story that we like to walk around and tell necessarily. It doesn't put a smile on your face to think about this. It's a graphic scene. And with this power he comes and he brings judgment on the earth. And then it says this, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. I don't know if this is smack talk or what, but it's true. It says, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great." That in, Je- in a moment, as Jesus speaks this word and obliterates the army, it happens to all of them. Like everybody that's there is without excuse. The rich, the poor, the really strong and brave, and, and, and the cowards, the ones that are kind of pretty good people, and the kind that are totally just terrible people, all the alike will stand there and without excuse, all of them will be guilty of sin because they've never followed Christ. Even the really good ones. And there will be an even, even playing field as Jesus speaks the word and they're destroyed. And the beast, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war Against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So here we see this end times ruler who's gone around and he's gathered up all of these kings who are following him, right? And, and, and he, as he gathers them to make war, says the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. It gets captured, right? And he's with this prophet. And the deal is that at the end times, they're going to trick people. Like we're told, here's your warning. In the end times, their main objective is to fool you. To deceive you. To get you to follow them instead of God. I don't know if you already see that happening. But I think I do. As I watch churches who are voting to blatantly sin. As I watch denominations fall and say, the Bible isn't inerrant. It's not inspired. It's not perfect. It's just a good book. As I find it harder and harder to find a church to worship in when I'm away on vacation because so many are giving up the truth of this Word. And you doubt that the, what this saying here is true? That the enemy is out there trying to deceive us and lie to us and get us to turn and walk away from the truth of God? Because it says in the end times, that's what's going to happen. And that's what they've been working on here. And look what, look what it says. These two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. There's a real place called hell. Nowadays, it is such a taboo word to say. It means you don't want to say it, right? People get mad when you talk about hell. You're that pastor if you say hell and talk about it on a stage. You get emails for it. But I'm going to tell you tonight, there is a real place called hell. And God has designed it as a place of punishment for those who have not believed in Him. It's a place where sin is punished for what it is. And you know what? You and I have some really good news. And that's what this story brings, as dark as it might seem right now at this point. We don't have to go there. Because our God is so good and loving and full of grace that He says, even though this is what sin deserves, I've sent my son to pay it so you don't have to. He's died for you so that you don't have to go to that place. So that you can trust him and follow him and have eternity in heaven with God. So many, like those men on that battlefield, like those armies who will come up to God and say, we hate you. They're headed there. They're denying Jesus and his gift and saying, I'd rather go to hell. I'd rather face off with the God of creation and think I might actually win. It says, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who is sitting on the horse. So Jesus speaks, and they're just destroyed. They didn't get a shot off, they didn't advance, they didn't take one step. Immediately, Jesus, with a word, annihilates them all and leaves them dead on the battlefield. You might Stop here and look and think like, wow, that's pretty intense. That's exactly why our celebration can be so intense. That's exactly why you and I can be so full of joy. Because we don't have to go through this. We don't have to experience the wrath of God that's going to come upon us if you've trusted and you believe. And you're like, I've done that, Rob. You keep telling me that over and over. I've trusted and I believe that I'm going to tell you. Then what are you doing with this message? Be a spoiler alert. Get out there and start telling people what's going to happen. And I'm not telling you to grab signs and stand on the road and start like wearing sackcloth and ashes and screaming and whatever else. I'm not telling you to do that. But here's what I am telling you to do. Have it on your lips and your tongue. Have it in your heart to tell your friends that you love and care about that this is a reality that's coming. That there is a God who loves them so much He sent His only Son to die for them. So would forgive them of their sin. He'd take them from this side of the battlefield as they're lined up against God to fight and he'd rescue them and bring them over to his family. We have this really cool job, you and I. We go up to the enemy and we try to rescue him. We're not going up trying to shoot him down. You think we're lining up with Jesus so here the battle's on. That's not what he's called us to do. He's called us to jump across the battle line and grab him and say, there's hope and grace for you. Come over here. You can be forgiven. Join us on this side. Christian out there, you guys who are Christians, are you doing that? Are you burdened for your school? Do you watch students walk by you all day on that campus and hear what comes out of their mouth and see what they're doing and talking about? And and are you burdened for them? For their sin? For their eternity? Will you step up and be a light on your campus and bring this message? People that play sports with you? Maybe your family as you go home. Are you burdened for the lost to hear? Kind of like that guy in the movie at the beginning. Like 30 times that kid asked him. And he was holding the truth right in his hands. He just never told. Don't be that guy. Be excited that Jesus is coming back. And He's made a way for you and those around you to be made right with our God. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Cool thing about this passage is that it should give us an incredible confidence. Because we know how it all ends. Like, we don't have to be nervous. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to tremble. I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. Here's why. Because Jesus has already promised He's winning the battle. So when you line up behind Jesus, you're lining up on the winning side. You're on the right team. Will you let that fill you with confidence? So I'm going to ask you just some candid questions tonight. Number one, are you that person tonight who's never experienced grace? You've never asked God to forgive you of your sin? Like tonight, if that battle were to happen tonight, you'd still be one of the enemies waiting to be destroyed? Maybe tonight is the night that you want to be saved. You want to be brought over into the family of God. If that's you tonight, will you just slip your hand up in the air so I can pray for you? I need that. I want to be part of God's family. I want want that promise for myself. If you're here tonight and you're like, hey, listen, I've believed, but I'm not, I'm a lot like the guy in the video. I haven't been celebrating Jesus like I should because it's great news. I haven't been sharing that message with people, but I want to. And I need some prayer to do it because I need the power of God behind me. Rob, will you pray for me tonight to be bold with that? I want to be bold this week. Will you slip your hand up so I could pray for you tonight as we end this in prayer? I see your hands. Anybody else? Make me bold in my school and with my family. Amen. Anybody else? My hand's up with you tonight. Let me pray for us right now. Father, give us boldness. Lord, cause us to celebrate and have such joy in our hearts that it pours out of us. That there's no slowing us down because we know, God, that we're on the winning team. These courageous people who just raise their hand, Lord, will you bless them? Bless them this week, tomorrow, as they walk into their classrooms, tonight as they go home and talk to their family, as they text, as they have conversations. Will you be the topic on their heart and tongue? Cause us to want to share. Make us burdened for those around us. Father, we love you and want you to be glorified. Thank you for winning the war. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.